Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our online community. It's good to have you all with us today. So we are in our Swimming Upstream series. And this is such a timely series because we are looking at the how of discipleship, how you and I can be good disciples for Jesus. And it's so timely because we've come through a season of craziness where we've had church, we haven't had church, we do community, we don't do community. And, and it's a time where the Lord is reminding us of these fundamentals of the how of discipleship. The first week we had honoring the word, the fundamental of the word governing our lives. And last week we had honoring community and the fundamental aspect of community in the how we do discipleship for Jesus. And this week we are looking at honoring leadership. And I've titled it Honoring Leadership, The Heart of the Matter. And again, this is fundamental to the how we do discipleship. So we really struggle with this idea of honoring leadership, right? And that's because we've all known corrupt and abusive leaders. In our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our nation, and even in our church. And all of us have been impacted and hurt by these experiences we've had with abusive leadership. And what we tend to do is we tend to then, from that place of our experience, relate to leaders around our lives. And we, we see the fruit of this in our societies. Really, if we look at it, honor for leadership has seemingly been eroded in our societies. We just don't find honor for leadership. And even the leaders themselves, have you noticed, lack honor. You see, we, we tend to stand on natural ground, you and I. And from this perspective, we, we measure and react and respond to leaders based on what we can see and what we know and what our experience with leadership has been. Right? But as disciples, we are called onto spiritual ground. And, and we are called to be those who promote life-giving and life-honoring relationships. So what does it look like from God's perspective? What does honoring leaders look like from his perspective? Because we, we know what it looks like from our perspective. We see the fruit of it around our lives all the time. 
we don't know what it looks like from God's perspective, how are we to restore and operate in a spirit of honor, which is fundamental to our discipleship as Christ followers? So let's pray. Lord, we ask you to do a very deep heart surgery in each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, you are touching the fundamentals of how we do discipleship for you. We surrender our hearts. Lord, we don't just want church to be about coming together, worshiping in song, listening to a good message and leaving. But we want to worship you with our lives. We want our lives to count for you, to have kingdom value, not just earthly value. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, cut away from our hearts this morning that which is not of you. And pour into our hearts that which is you. Please do not let us leave here this morning unchanged, but let us leave having met with your transforming power in our inner attitudes. We ask it together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, to gain God's perspective on honoring leadership, we must turn inward. We find this lesson so beautifully demonstrated by the Holy Spirit for us through the life of David. Before we have even met David, the Holy Spirit introduces him to you and I as a man after God's own heart. So God has sent his prophet, Samuel, his messenger, to the current king, King Saul, to tell him that he has been rejected as king because he dishonored God's authority. And at this time, God chooses to introduce you and I to the man that's going to replace this king, and he introduces him to you and I as a man who has my heart. Let's look at 1 Samuel 13. Verse 14, he says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So immediately, we are taken to the subject of the heart by the Holy Spirit. There is something God wants you and I to give attention to, something he's going to do in the heart of this man, David, that is important for you and I to acknowledge and to take note of. And I want you to take note that at this time that the Holy Spirit introduces David to you and I, Samuel and Saul do not even know that David exists. They do not know who he is. They don't even know his name. We are just introduced to him by the Spirit of God. And then later on, when, when God does send Samuel to go and anoint the next king at Jesse's house, one of his sons, we see that Samuel looks at all these sons and he, he sees such impressiveness 
outwardly, and again, the Holy Spirit takes us to the subject of the heart. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We get the message loud and clear. The subject is the heart. There's something in David's heart. There's a work God's going to do there that God wants you and I to take note of. And as we look at that work in David's heart, we find a lesson for honoring leadership. And the climax of this lesson for you and I comes in 1 Samuel chapter 24. I encourage you this week to read 1 and 2 Samuel just so that you can get a picture of, of the story. So here we have David, he's in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul is chasing him down. Hunting him down is more the word. Saul wants to kill him. Saul knows that he has been anointed the next king. And Saul thinks if he can kill David, that takes care of the problem. And he has been chasing him and hunting him for years. He now takes 3,000 men with him. That's his army. And he is hunting David and his 600 men in the wilderness of Engedi. But it's hot and tiring work. In the heat of the day, Saul turns into a cave to take a rest, to have a siesta, a bit of a snooze. Unbeknownst to him, David and his 600 men are in that same cave, just further in of that cave. David's men turn to David and say, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to kill this man who's made your life a living hell. Take him out. David creeps up to Saul and cuts off the corner of his robe. That thing that he wears that signifies he's the king. He stands in the office of the king. And immediately the subject of the heart is highlighted for you and I again. Look in 1 Samuel 24, 5. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Immediately there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit in the heart of David. And the Holy Spirit does some deep heart surgery in David. So David waits after he's repented and dealt with his heart before God. He waits for Saul to leave the cave. He waits for Saul to get a safe distance away from him. And then he calls out to Saul and says, Oh, my Lord, my king, I had an opportunity to kill you today, but I did not. Even though you're sinning against me, I choose not to sin against you. And even though you're hunting me down to take my life, I choose not to harm you in any way by my hand. And I want you to know that your kingdom is not under threat by me. I am not going to take matters into my own hands. Instead, he says, 1 Samuel 24 verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me 
against you. But my hand shall not be against you. You see, we find in the heart of David a remarkable work of the Holy Spirit. A refusal to sink to Saul's level. He refuses to play tit for tat. You did this to me, I do this to you. You hurt me, I hurt you. You dishonored me, I will dishonor you. A refusal to deal with Saul as a man. Instead, he makes a hard decision and choice to deal with King Saul as the king, God's delegated authority. You see, we find this this accurate recognition in David's heart that to touch God's delegated authority, King Saul, was to touch God himself. And we see in David's heart this deep assurance, it's uncanny that God will most certainly avenge him from any wrongdoing that Saul is doing against him. We see that David knows he doesn't have to take it into matters into his own hands. We learn from the story of David that walking in a spirit of honor towards leadership is a matter of our own heart condition, not the leader's heart. You see, David by the Spirit understood that if he kept his heart surrendered to God and to his authority, if he kept his motives and his inner attitudes aligned with God's precepts and principles, it didn't matter who his leaders were, and it didn't matter how they behaved, what they did to him or what they didn't do to him. Because as ultimate authority, God set them in that position, And God could unset them. God could deal with them. David understood this. He knew God didn't need his help. He's God all on his own. You see, we make the matter of showing honor to leaders about the leader. God makes it about us. You see, we make our decisions to give or withhold honor based on the leader's behavior, actions, and character, but God makes it about our behavior, our actions, and our character. But there's also a beautiful lesson for us in Saul's response to David when he's followed him out the cave and called out to him. And look what Saul says in 1 Samuel 24, 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. There's two things I want to highlight for us here. Saul says to David, you are more righteous than I. By David responding to 
Saul with honor instead of dishonor, it revealed the righteousness of God to Saul. When we operate in a spirit of honor, we reveal the righteousness of God to those around us. Second, he says, you will be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. You see, by David choosing to respond to Saul by the spirit and not by the flesh and to show him honor even though he didn't deserve it and he didn't earn it, David secured the kingdom of God. Now it would be established. Remember, the reason why it was torn out of King Saul's hand was because he had dishonored God's authority. He had disqualified himself from securing and ushering in the kingdom. When we operate in a spirit of dishonor, we disqualify ourselves from establishing the kingdom of God. Now, we all want the kingdom of God to come, and we all want his will to be done in our lives, in our circumstances, in our situations. You see, walking in a spirit of honor towards our leaders ashes in the kingdom of God because it is a principle of God, and God's kingdom can only be established upon his principles. If we try and establish it upon anything else, it is not God's kingdom that we are establishing. You see, there was only one difference between Saul and David, just one. David submitted to God's delegated authority. Saul did not. You see, we view dishonoring leadership as a small, uneventful thing. God views it as primary. Without it, we cannot establish the kingdom. We make honor a matter of agreement, whether or not we can agree with our leader. God has made honor about his established authority. Full stop. So to restore a spirit of honoring leadership, we must return to the heart of the matter. We see this lesson clearly given to us by the Holy Spirit through the life of David. And it's interesting that God mentions the heart condition of the next king at the time when he's rejecting the existing king because of his dishonor for delegated authority. By doing so, the Lord is highlighting for you and I that the problem Saul had with authority was in fact a heart matter. It was a heart issue. So when we encounter a leadership problem, we in fact uncover a heart problem, our own heart problem. You see, when our heart is right, like David's was, then honor will flow unhindered, regardless of the type of leader that we are around. And this is for any area of our lives. We see this clearly in the lesson given to us by the Spirit in the life of David. So for you and I to operate in and to restore a spirit of honoring leadership, 
we need to make some new heart resolutions. Not New Year's resolutions, new heart resolutions. And the wonderful thing about new heart resolutions, we don't have to wait till the 1st of January. We can make them anytime, anywhere, any day. You see, cutting off the corner of, of Saul's robe was an act that cut away from Saul. It was an act that diminished Saul's value. It cut something from him. It was an outward act that revealed an inner attitude, and the Holy Spirit was quick to show David this. And Romans 14.10 warns you and I about that same inner attitude. I'm going to read it from the old King James Version because I just love how it puts it. I love the wording. Romans 14.10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The scripture is saying to us, why in your inner attitude are you diminishing others and reducing them to a zero? Reducing them to naught in the value that I have placed on them. What the scripture is saying to us is that we all have one of these in our hearts. We have an internal measuring tape. And with it, we are always measuring others. We are assessing them. And we measure them, and we measure them, and we assess, and we measure all different parts of them. And we measure against our own internal value meter. What we deem is valuable, and what we deem is invaluable. And as I'm measuring you, I'm making an assessment, an analysis, and I reduce your value. And we do this in different areas and in different ways. You see, if I think in my internal value meter, I dress very trendy, and she does not, then I reduce her to a zero in that area. It's unspoken. I'm sometimes even unaware I'm doing it. But this activity, this inner attitude is going on in my heart, and I'm cutting away. I'm cutting away from others. I'm diminishing their value. I'm diminishing their value. It could be I don't like the way he preaches, and I measure, and I reduce to a zero. Or I'm in a prayer meeting and I don't like the way she prays because actually I pray better. I know how to pray. So I reduce to a zero. This activity grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieved the Holy Spirit when David cut away and diminished from Saul. How does this work? Do I sum my leader up unfavorably? Do I secretly pity him or her? Because shame, he or she just does not see as I see. 
Do I despise him or her in my heart as weak or lacking in some way? And I reduce to zero. If so, our next step is to assume I am better. I am better than that person. In that area, I'm better. I have a value meter that's telling me I'm better. But here's the thing. Our value meter is faulty. You see, we only see the outside and the outward. Can you see my heart right now? Can you see everything in my heart? Our value meter is faulty. Look what 2 Corinthians 10, 7 says. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself. That just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. Saying, are you looking and measuring outwardly? Don't you know that you have to stand before me one day, Chantal, and you have to give an account to me of all your measuring and analyzing and scoring and ranking and filing? Don't you know that you're going to have to give an account of this inner attitude that results in judgment. The fruit of this inner attitude of setting at zero is a critical spirit. We critique everything, all of the time, whether it's unspoken, spoken, known, or unknown. So let us make a new heart resolution. Let us resolve to abandon the practice of setting others at zero in our hearts, particularly our leaders. Let us not diminish or cut away from our leaders in our heart attitudes, because whatever's in our heart flows out in our actions and our behaviors and forms our character. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. Let us be discerning, but not make others victims of our discernment. David was discerning. He knew Saul was wrong. He knew what Saul was doing was sin. But he chose not to make Saul a victim of his discernment. Can I ask you, have you ever been a victim of someone's discernment? What someone measured you at and reduced you to by what they could see, their limited knowledge of you? How did that feel? Can I ask you, have you ever made someone else a victim of your discernment? We must stop it. It grieves the Holy Spirit tremendously because Jesus died for that person that we are reducing to zero. Jesus says he has unsurpassable worth like you have unsurpassable worth. So stop it. Stop it. 
You see, when the Spirit showed David that he had this in his heart, David was quick to repent. He was quick to yield his heart life to the Holy Spirit. And we see the fruit of it later on, where yet again David is having to deal with Saul because Saul is trying to kill him, hunting him down to kill him. 1 Samuel 26, 24, he says to Saul, Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Now David's not cutting away. Now he's saying, you are precious. You are precious. Your life is precious. Even though your behavior is what it is, you are precious. You see, we put the responsibility on the leader to deserve our honor. God puts the responsibility on us to give honor, regardless of the leader's behavior. This this work that the Holy Spirit did in David's heart led David to focus more on his own heart condition than the heart condition of Saul. And Matthew 7 instructs you and I to do exactly the same. Let's go there. Verse 3 to 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrites, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I have a prop. I have a plank. And before the service, I put a speck on my finger. If you can see the speck, please put your hand up. No? No one can see the speck? Okay, so this scripture is saying that you and I have a plank. Will you say, I have a plank? I have a plank. plank. Now, will you say to whoever's nearest you, you have a speck? I have a plank. So, so... God is saying to us, you and I have bigger heart issues to worry ourselves with, to be busy with. We don't have to worry about the specks in everybody else's eye. Let's deal with our plank issues. Now, Pastor Simon, my senior leader, the senior pastor of this house, please come up onto the stage. I have seen a speck in your eye, and I tell you it's glaring. It's glaring. And I want to deal with it. So, I, I just want you to hold still, and I'm going to remove that speck. Um, that, that was close. If you maybe want to walk your eye into my finger, then maybe by some miracle, I will hit the speck, the spot. Do we see the futility and the foolishness of that? Why can't he trust me to take the speck out of his eye? Because I can't see clearly. 
My heart is full of plank issues. I can't touch your speck issue in your heart when I've got plank issues in my own heart. You know, when David cut off Saul's, the corner of Saul's robe, the Holy Spirit was saying to him, you're not ready to deal with him yet. You've got a plank issue. Conviction. Heart surgery. Deal with the plank issue. Now David follows Saul at the cave. Now he's got the right approach for the speck issue. Waits for King Saul to get a good distance away and calls out to him, my Lord, my King, and bows to the ground. Honor, respect. But now he still touches the speck. You are sinning against me. You are hunting me down trying to kill me and I've done nothing to deserve it. But I want you to know I will not harm you. The Lord has dealt with the plank issue in his heart. Instead, he says, the Lord judge between us. But me, I'm keeping my heart clean before Jesus. I'm not going to touch you and hurt you. And what was the result of David showing honor to a man who did not deserve it, who did not earn it. The spirit broke through in King Saul's heart. And it says he wept. And he says, I have sinned. You are more righteous than I. The righteousness of God broke through. Heart resolution number two. Let us resolve to occupy ourselves with our plank issues rather than the speck issues we see in others, particularly our leaders. And to do this, we must, like David, follow the Holy Spirit inward and allow him to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Many years ago, I was on holiday and I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And I just, like, rubbed my eye. And when I rubbed my eye, something got into my eye. You know that feeling when something is in your eye? And I thought, okay, just rub it more. Sometimes it dislodges. It would not dislodge. And every time I blinked, there was this searing pain. It felt like someone was scraping a knife over my eyelid. So being on holiday, I didn't have eye drops with me. Now it's the middle of the night, and I'm in the bathroom trying to wash water out to get this thing to move. Nothing. I'm pulling my eyelid this way and this way and this way, trying to dislodge whatever's in my eye. Nothing. My eye's pouring with water like this, and now it's swelling, and it's starting to throb. And I don't want to wake anybody up because the whole house is asleep. It's the middle of the night. So I get back into bed, and I'm trying with all my might not to blink. Because every time I blink, there's this searing pain. And I don't know if you've ever tried to keep your eyes closed with not blinking, but you're not sleeping. It's really hard. And now my eyes throbbing like this. And, it, and I'm miserable. I'm miserable. But I don't want to wake Stuart up because why make my problem his problem? He's having a good sleep. So I'm waiting. Now. I'm counting the seconds. Daylight cannot come quick enough. 
daylight breaks, I wake Stuart up, I tell him my problem, and bless his heart. Now he's got me over the basin trying to wash this thing out my eye. He's taking my eyelid and moving it this way and moving it this way. Nothing. He's looking, we can't see anything. But my eye's now swollen like this, and it's just pouring. Miserable. So now we're waiting for 8 o'clock so I can phone an optometrist to try and get some help. But these, these minutes are ticking like hours. And I'm so miserable. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm beside myself. I'm walking around with this one eye, and it's like this. 8 o'clock comes, we phone the optometrist to say, I can squeeze you in at 9 o'clock. Now I've got to wait another hour, another hour, another hour. Eventually I get there, this optometrist puts me in his chair, and you know that little thing that they come up to you with, with the light, and they look, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, he's, I can't see anything. He says, okay. He pulls his machine away, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, okay, Chantal, what I need to do is turn your eyelid inside out. He says, it's not going to be sore, but it's going to feel super strange. But he says, it's very important that you don't blink. Because if you blink while I've got your eyelid upside down, obviously it's going to flop over. I said, I've got this. I've been practicing all night (laughs) not to blink. I've got it down. Let's do it. He brings that machine back right up to my face with his light, gently takes my eyelid, turns it inside out, felt super strange, and he's looking, looking, looking. Ah, he says, I see it. I see it. He says, there's this little piece of something, and it's got jagged edges, and it's stuck into your eyeball. And he says, he tries to dislodge it, nothing happens. So, puts my eyelid back down, searing pain, searing pain. Comes back with his machine again, looks at me, and he says, okay, listen, what I have to do He said, I'm going to have to use a needle. He says, because this thing's got jagged edges and it's stuck in your eyeball. And I have to use the tip of a needle to dislodge it. He says, but I want to tell you I'm not going to hurt you. He says, I promise you, you can trust me. He says, I've got a very steady hand and I'm not going to hurt you. And he spent quite a while just calming me down, telling me it's all going to be well. I said, okay, turns my eyelid back, puts the machine back, gets the needle, and he's busy, 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 and he hooks it, and he says, I've got it. The relief was instant, instant. He turns my eyelid back, puts his machine back, and he says, there it is, and shows me the needle, and I can't even see it. It's so small. It's on the tip of the needle. I had to go really magnifying glass, see it. So I say, thank you, I'm so thankful, I can blink now, praise God, all is well with life. And I'm walking out the optometrist, and I'm walking along, and the Holy Spirit says to me, Chantal, that is how you take a speck out of your brother's eye. The lessons of the Lord. He said very, very carefully, and very, very gently. You see, we see from Matthew 7 that we will always have more work to do in our hearts than God will give us to do in the hearts of others. And when he does give us work to do, very, very gently, very, very carefully, 
now we can touch the speck in our brother's eye. You see, we view honoring leadership as an outward act, how we treat them, how we treat leaders. God views it as an inward act, an inner attitude, a heart. Won't you stand with me to restore a spirit of honoring leadership you and I must return to the heart of the matter. Won't you just lift your hands? Won't you just spend a moment in heart surgery with Jesus? Won't you just let him touch areas in your heart where you've been judging, setting others at zero? where you maybe have dishonored. Won't you just let him touch your heart now? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are doing a deep heart surgery in each one of our hearts. Lord, like David, we cry, creating us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Help us to stay more busy with our own heart condition before you. Oh, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to deal with the planks. Please come. Do a deep, deep work in our hearts. Lord, let us not stay with these plank issues in our hearts. Restore in us a spirit of honor for leadership because we know that it ushers in your kingdom. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Won't you just take a moment longer? Unhurried time. Some of us need to repent this morning. Won't you do that now? The gift of repentance is that we can set it right in a moment with God. We don't have to walk out with it. Won't you make some new heart resolutions this morning? Won't you be the light of Christ to those around you? And be one who shows honor. 